the way I was raised in church is that the, my primary role as a believer was to be a worshiper. Hmm. But I, I'm not so sure if that's my primary purpose, that God wants that to be my primary purpose. I think he wants my primary purpose to be a missionary. Welcome to the Forge America Missional Podcast. My name is Alan Bradford. I'm coming to you from Knoxville, Tennessee. And with me today, I have uh, Terry Ishi in Austin, Texas. How are you doing, Terry? Hey, doing pretty well. And I have Roland Smith in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Hey, how are you doing? how's it going? It's going good. Good. And with me today is a fellow uh, Knoxvillian. I have with me Chris Battle, who is a pastor here in town. Chris, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Good to be with you. And it's good to be with you too. Well, we're going to get to Chris here in a second, but you chime in as much as possible. Uh, but we want to spend some time interviewing Chris and some of the stuff that he's been doing as he has intersected with Forge uh, probably, what, three or four years ago now? Yeah. Something like that? Yeah, three years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Three years. But let me check in with you guys first. How are you guys doing? Things are still in the middle of the COVID-19, uh, the great quarantine. How are you guys doing? Yeah, we're, we're holding up well, um, trying to trying to stay home as much as possible. We, uh, we closed down our cafe, uh, still sending out roasted beans and stuff, but we kind of closed down our cafe during the, I guess what's supposed to be the peak of all of this stuff. And, um, but we're doing well. We, we got some good news yesterday and, um, had applied for a grant from a local angel fund here in Colorado Springs uh, they gave out some money to 25 businesses in town to help them make it through this whole thing. And we got chosen for that. So that's great. That's, that's good news. And I'm looking forward. I don't know all the details yet, but as soon as I have that, looking forward to calling our employees and getting them paid on the first and that kind of stuff. So, yeah. That's awesome, man. That's yeah. Congratulations. So that's third space coffee in Colorado Springs. So if you're ever there, uh, once we ever get out of the great quarantine, the great lockdown, you get to go visit uh, Third Space Coffee, right? Absolutely. We'd love to have you. <laughs> love to have you. And you can order beans now, right? Roland's not going to use this to, to promote his business, <laughs> but I will because I love Roland. So third, what's the website? How can, if they want to order coffee beans in the meantime, what can they do? Tell us that. Now, here's what I love about this is that the guy – that is pushing my business doesn't drink coffee. <laughs> so, you know, here, so I couldn't have picked a better representative for right. coffee than someone that doesn't drink coffee. Right? right. Yeah. Well, so yeah, we've got a, we've got an online store that is at third T H I R D dash space S P A C E dash coffee dot org and then if you do a forward slash coffee beans then you'll get right to our uh, like square online store and yeah we're we're roasting and mailing all over the country still that's so. great and i don't drink coffee but my wife is a huge coffee fan and we ordered i don't know two or three bags uh last week or the week before and uh she wanted me to let you know so i'll let you know on the podcast so she doesn't listen to this so it's not gonna count her but she said the coffee's phenomenal thank you it's amazing she loves it uh so uh even though i don't drink it my wife is a good connoisseur of it and she gives thumbs up all the way so good stuff good awesome very nice well besides having a happy wife who uh, loves coffee terry how are you doing in austin we're good man it's it's 
you know, we're, we're stir crazy like everyone else and just trying to navigate that. And, you know, everyone's healthy, which we're super grateful for. Uh, one of the things that we're doing is trying to find like respite in the neighborhood, like trying to find beauty in the neighborhood. Uh, and so it's funny as, as we're recording this, it's rainy outside and I'm looking outside the window and uh, my next door neighbor, uh, Caitlin and Kyle, they have uh, a sweet, sweet little girl uh, and she's blowing bubbles uh and you, i can just see them my, my backyard is filled with bubbles and rain it's just a beautiful like just a moment it's like you know what it's just there's still beauty in the world even though we're locked down so that's kind of been our task is trying to find the beauty uh in the small things and um yesterday we had uh, just a, a great time you know we pulled some chairs into the driveway and uh, just hung out with friends, just kind of connecting and, you know, being safe, social distancing and, and all of that, but just kind of checking in and man, it's, it's, God is so good uh, in those conversations in those communities. And, uh, and these are neighbors who are, who are not yet followers of Christ and uh, just the conversations that we get to have and, and be able to speak into the kingdom and, and share, share good news with them in, in spite of all of this. I mean, this is the great opportunity that we have. And so, that's kind of been the last week, just having those conversations and loving people and looking for beauty. So, That's awesome. Well, things here in Knoxville are not rainy. Uh, that's a, it's kind of unusual for us. It's actually bright and sunny out. It's kind of nice. Um, and so, Chris, you're here in Knoxville with me, man. Yeah. Oh, I'm doing well, man. Doing well. Just um, trying to keep my daughters from going stir crazy. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just the girls, the boys are just totally the cool. The, boy, yeah. the boys are cool. The boys are cool. The girls are just, they're, you know, so we, we have acquired two more rabbits and a pit bull. Um, <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's, 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 um, it's good. I'm learning some things about my daughters that I didn't know um, as a result of this. And that's positive. That's on the podcast. Yeah, okay. That's good. I was going to say, let's not share that on the podcast. No, let's no, we wouldn't do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> protect the, protect the girls, man. Well, that's good. <laughs> well, today I asked uh, Chris to be on this podcast with us because Chris and I, we've known each other for three, four years, something like that. Uh, kind of the intersection through, through forge. Um, and so Chris, I'd love for you to kind of, kind of just catch everybody up on you. Who are you? Why, why, why bring you onto this podcast? So what, what, what brings you here, man? Yeah. Well, first of all, this, thanks for having me this, this evening. Um, so yeah, uh, I've been pastoring, um, oh gosh, for 35 years now and, um, different, um, you, predominantly Baptist congregations and across the country, well, at least the East coast. And, um, um, but when I moved here to Knoxville about 11 years ago, um, I first got here and, um, was just concerned about doing ministry within the community. And um, across the street from our church um, was is a, um, um, a cemetery. Um, it's African-American. Um, most of those who were buried in there were born in slavery. Mm. And it was a mess, overgrown, headstones knocked over. And so uh, when I got called to the church here, um, I said, the first thing we're going to do as a congregation is go clean the cemetery. And so um, we, we got out there. It's about 20, 30 of us. We're cleaning and we're raking, we're mowing, we're 
we're chainsawing, we're putting headstones back up. We got piles and piles and bags of debris in the corner of the cemetery and having a good time of fellowship and um, um, kind of even talking about the history of the people there that were buried. And um, this brother pulls up in a pickup truck. He stops me and starts thanking us for what we're doing. I mean, he's just going on and on. But man, I really appreciate what you guys are doing, investing in the community. And he even gets reminiscent. He says, man, when I was a kid, I used to cut through here to go to school. And he's going on and on and on. Well, I'm a new pastor. I hadn't been here three months here in Knoxville. And I got this guy now. He's, 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 I got him in the palm of my hand. He's invested in what we're doing. He loves what we're doing. I said, well, brother, won't you come join us at the church? He looks me in the eye and he says these words and I quote, I ain't coming to your damn church. And he pulls off and I'm just, I'm dumbfounded. I'm, I'm, and I'm, I'm like, why he cussed my church? <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. Uh, and for a decade, I mean, even today, that that bugged me. I mean, it was at the, it just bugged. Me. Why is he not coming to to my church or any church for that case? And then, of course, in 2016, and you're familiar with this, Alan, they did a study in Knoxville on church attendance, and I'm pretty sure this goes yeah um, pretty uh, accurate across the country. Um, is that only 20%, roughly 20% of Knoxvillians go to church um, on a regular basis. Um, and Knoxville is the buckle of the Bible belt, you know. And only 20% ago, roughly 40% are done with church. They used to go to church, um, you know, they, but they don't go anymore. For whatever reason, church hurt, relevance, what have you. Um, you know, they, a lot of Muslim love Jesus, just hate the institution of church. Um, and then another roughly 40% or to have no religious affiliation. And so I'm talking with my friends and things like that. I said, so folks aren't going to church um, across denominational lines, across racial lines. And our, and our churches are dying. Our, you know, our churches are dying. And here's the kicker, the 20% that do go, um, that's once a week. Regular was considered once a month. Once a month, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, and the amazing, uh, the amazing thing about that is that, that that's a, it's, it was published in 2016, yeah. which means it probably was 2014, 2015 when they were taking the data. And right. it is now 2020, and I would suspect those numbers have changed quite drastically. Oh, I, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. and that is here. This is the South. Yeah. This is Knoxville, Tennessee. This is, uh, yeah, as you said, the buckle of the Bible Belt. I would suspect those numbers can get a lot, a lot different in other pockets of the country. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would say uh, it has changed quite a bit since then. Yeah, because I mean, I grew up. I'm a, I'm I'm the end of the baby boomer. Uh, you know, I think Roland's a little older than I am. But um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and um, I, I grew up under, under church growth. You know, whole church growth institute thing, and um, where our what we determined is you know successful was how many people we had on church on Sunday morning for those two hours. You know. That was success, but now people aren't coming. And it, it taught me a great lesson, and I think it really took Forge to help me understand this, was that probably what I should have done was, number one, instead of inviting him to come to our church 
to come to this building, probably what I should have done was asked him his name. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, honestly, if this brother would come up to me right now, I would not know who he was, you know, ask him his name. Um, Number two, engage him in what he's already voiced interest in. He mm-hmm. says he's in, he's appreciative of what we were doing at the at the cemetery. Man, hey, come join us. Pick up a rake, get a lawnmower, help us put these headstones back up. At the least, can we use your pickup truck to put these gar- garbage bags and put them, take them to the dump there across the street? You know, um, because I, I I think about it too, Alan. I mean, I wonder what he heard. Mm-hmm. What he heard. I got yeah. a feeling this is probably what he heard when I said come to our church. So all this guy wants to do is he wants me to come to his church, sit in his pew, listen to his choir, listen to his sermon so he can get my money. And he wasn't mm. too far off because the choir didn't sound that good. at that time. <laughs> um, But you know, that's what I had been trained to do in my seminary, you know, is how to get people in, in the building. And yet now I realize folks aren't coming to the building. Um, so what we have to learn how to do now is to do church differently. And, um, and it, it took me, a, it took, it was over a decade. It was over a decade that I like, I think I finally caught on to, to what's mm. going on here. So, yeah. So that's what, that's what got me. Um, that, that piercing statement is really what started this whole thing for me. Um, I'm like, if, if, if folk aren't coming, then we really have to do something different. Maybe we need to take the church to the street. Maybe we need to do something like Jesus did, you know, hmm. um, and, and do like that. So, um, so what happened was, and, and it kind of, I'm not going to say it was really intentional, but it, um, it worked out. Um, in 2018, um, we started a community garden at our church. And um, it was really to, um, I love gardening. Uh, I've always had a little backyard garden or a raised bed. Um, and we had a plot of land that was vacant, never being used for anything. Hey, let's start a community garden. And so what I'm doing, <laughs> I'm going out in the community. I'm knocking on people's doors um, um, and <laughs> asking them if they want to get a plot. I got so thoroughly embarrassed. There was a house two doors down from our church. Mm-hmm. I've been pastoring this church for uh, 10 years. I knock on the door and I realize I don't know these people. Mm-hmm. And um, I'd seen them, maybe waved at them, but I didn't know them. I knocked on the door and they said, hey, Pastor Battle, how you doing? <laughs> I felt, I mean, I was, I felt an inch tall. I was yeah. like, I've been sitting in my this my office for 10 years and I don't know my, I don't know the neighbors. I don't know the people around the church. Yeah. Ultimately what happened, what I learned is I met more people in the first season of that garden than I did in the 10 years sitting in my office. Hmm. You know, it's amazing how okra can bring people together. <laughs> <laughs> Especially fried okra, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we started, we started this community garden um, we had like about 16, 12, 12 16 plots. Um, and uh, we had a, um, we, 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 we called a gleaning fence. And um, on that fence, uh, all the food that was grown on that fence was free to the public. We'd attach some baskets to it. And so every morning I would go out 
um, get the produce, put it in the baskets, you know, bag it up, wash it off, whatever. And, um, um, and it's based on the Old Testament concept of leaving the corners of your field unharvested for, for the poor. And, um, and so people are coming by every day, you know, getting, getting some produce, you know. And um, that, that was exciting to me. Um, but what happened then, I, I really, this is where I really believe it was a God thing is because I really became concerned about food disparity in our community. Um, there are no grocery stores in my zip code. No grocery stores. The USDA says if you are, if one third of your community is more than a mile away from a grocery store, fresh market, farmer's market, you're considered a food desert. Well, from where our church was located, we, there are five grocery stores, three Kroger's, a public, a six. Um, um, I'll, call, I'll call Walmart one, two, um, and a food city. Save a lot. All of those between 2.5 and five miles away. So we're in this food desert. 70% of my community in an unverified statistic, 70% um, of the community is doing their grocery shopping at, um, at the dollar stores. Now there are a plethora of dollar stores, you know, Dollar Tree, Dollar, you know, pick a dollar, everything, every, all kind of dollars, um, you know, and, and people are literally doing their grocery shop because it's convenient. Uh, in a depressed community, uh, car ownership is low. Um, you know, so who wants to get carried? You know, if you're a single mom in particular, got a couple of kids, you go to work, who wants to come home, get in the bus, load some kids with you, go to the grocery store, wait for, you know, get your groceries, carry all those groceries on the bus, go back. It, it, you know, uh, what would take me who has a car, you know, 20 minutes may take them two or three hours. So it, it, it becomes a real burden. And so people are going to do what's convenient. And particularly if you got kids, they're going to, if they're at the dollar store, they're going to get the cheese doodles because there's no apples available. And so we began to really get concerned about that. So um, we reached out to the um, Nourish Knoxville. They have, they are responsible for all the farmers markets in Knoxville. We reached out to them, said, "Hey, we want to get a farmers market started." And uh, she said, the, the young lady that op was operating, she goes, said, "Hey, there are other people in your community who want to get it started." I knew every single one of them. We got together, and within two months, we started a farmers market. We call it the East Side Sunday Market. Um, so we start right after church. So, you know, folks folk can get out of church and go buy them some collard greens. Um, and you, did it right on the, you did it right I, on the property of the church. It was right, right? on the church property. Yeah. yeah. Which was a problem, which we hmm. found out was a problem. Um, what, we, what we learned is that, number one, um, we took a survey and we found out that 80% of the people said if fresh fruit and vegetables are available, they'll buy it. If it's affordable and accessible, they'll buy it. I mean, um, organically grown food is expensive, okay? Mm -hmm. It's expensive. Um, but, um, but if it's available, it's accessible, it's affordable, they'll buy it. Okay, cool. But what we found out, though, is because it was on the church ground, there were a lot of people in the community who would not come because they thought it was a means of proselyting, you know. 
Wow. Oh, they just want us to come to their church. That I mean, that was the, um, that we found out that. So what we ended up doing for a couple of reasons, we moved it across the street. Uh, there's a park right across the street, which happens to be adjacent to the cemetery I was talking about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, um, yeah, so we moved it, we moved it across, across the street. Um, but yeah, so, um, so we had the uh, community garden, we had the farmer's market. Um, I have some pastor friends here in town who had vacant lots. I reached out, hey, brothers, start a community garden, you know. Um, and uh, two or three of them did just that. Um, so we're trying to really break up this whole thing of food disparity um, um, in East Knoxville uh, through community gardens, through the farmer's market. And, um, and then there was a farm, a little two-acre urban farm, that one of the farmers there was at our at our farmers market. Well, the the farm operator ended up leaving, and they needed somebody to run the farm. And for some reason, I raised my hand, <laughs> <laughs> and um, so yeah, so I, I ended up becoming um becoming a farmer. And I didn't know a, a darn thing about farming, but I did learn this: they may not come to my damn church, but they'll come to my farm. Mm. Well, yeah. Hey, hey, Chris. I know every city and neighborhood, all the rules are going to be different. But in general, wh- what do you think? What do you think? How hard is it to start a community garden? Like, are there like should if someone wants to do this, do they need to go talk to the city first if they find an open lot or whatever, um, or is it pretty much open to the neighborhood to just do whatever it's, they want to do? If it's if it's your property here, it's cool, you yeah. know, um, there, um, but if it's city property or if it's a vacant lot, yeah, you need to go to the city. Cause a lot of times you have to get zoning changes and stuff like that. Um, there's a, actually there was a piece of property right down the street from our church and I was looking at doing one and, um, you know, by the time they told me what I needed to do, I'm like, nah, that's okay. I'll just stay where I'm at, you know? Um, it, I mean, but they got to protect themselves, and I get that. But there can be a lot of um, red tape that you have to go through. But if you already have the property, okay, you can go ahead on and use that. And um, that's what we were successful. We had like three churches to do that. We even had a corner store that um, is letting us use their uh, property to um, have a garden. Yeah, so we actually have a uh, another Forge alumni. So, so uh, Chris did our what we call a mission learning community. Uh, back several years ago, and that was kind well, of I've your. Taken it through, I've taken it two or three times because I'm a little <laughs> slow. Yeah, you have done it two or three times. Uh, but we had another Forge alumni, one of our residents. He started a community garden in his neighborhood. He'd always had he'd always had the dream for it. Always wanted to do it. Um, so what he did is he got together with a couple of the guys, and a, a lot had um, had a burned down house on it, um, and then nobody wanted to do anything with it. So they kind of checked it out for a long time, bought the lot, cleared it out, and they've started a community garden there that's uh, incredibly successful. And then again, it goes back to think, if you own the land, you can kind of almost do what you want. Um, but it's been, it's been kind of the, the jewel of, of his neighborhood, yeah. uh, which I think the same thing with the garden that you did, and especially with Battlefield Farms. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're real excited about it. Um, our farm got sold. Uh, we were leasing the property, and um, I'm, I mean, it's, it's amazing how God does things. Um, I had a guy call me once and say, "Hey, man, we got all I got. 
I got seven acres of land that me and my wife were preparing to be a farm. And um, it's got 28 inches of topsoil. He's just going on how good this land. He said, but there's one problem. I said, what's that? We got divorced and we sold the property. <laughs> so he said, but I think the people that live there now might be willing to let you use the land. And uh, so he reached out to him and uh, we met and they said, hey, take the land. Um, you can use it as long as you want to for, for the battlefield farm. Um, so, um, so yeah, so I, now I got, I've moved from two acres, um, which was a dollar a year. My lease was a dollar a year <laughs> for two acres. Now I got four acres and it's absolutely free. See how God works. Wow. <laughs> That's good. That's yeah. good. And so we're also in the process of purchasing some land, uh, and we're going to use that for, um, um, it's going to just be for training, going to be like a farm school. Um, so I'll do most of my pro production on at the four acres and just um, use the one acre for the um, for just teaching kids how to uh, get involved in this whole idea of farming and, um, and pro producing your own food. Yeah. That's great. Well, I know that. So there's been a progression there, too. And since I've known you and kind of walked through a lot of this uh, in the midst of all of this, I know that because of that story of that gentleman in the pickup truck, because of kind of your heart and what you witnessed at the garden and then in the farm, I know that you kind of had a, um, I don't know, an epiphany, a kind of an idea. You, something was birthed in you that said, hey, I think I need to be doing stuff a little bit different, uh, especially when it came to um, the ecclesia, to the church thing. And so could you kind of walk us through a little bit of how that looked for you? Yeah. Yeah. So as I said, I've, I've, I've been pastoring traditional Baptist churches for, for three decades, you know, um, you know, Baptist born, Baptist bred. When I die, I thought I'd be Baptist dead. <laughs> um, but um, realizing people weren't coming to church, seeing the numbers in our church decrease um, between 2017 and 2018, we had a thousand less people attend our church, you know? Um, um, I think there's some reasons for that. And a lot of that is just frequency, frequency, uh, the frequency of the members just decreased. Um, but I wanted to see us get out. I, 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 I've been thinking on this. I think, the way I was raised in church is that the, my primary role as a believer was to be a worshiper. Hmm. But I, I'm not so sure if that's my primary purpose, that God wants that to be my primary purpose. I think he wants my primary purpose to be a missionary that worships. Hmm. Um, and as I'm trying to relate this and share this with the church, I'm getting this resistance, if you would, you know, let's, let's just be, you know, um, and, and I really, and again, forge is at the, happening at the same time and it's really messing me up. I can't use the terminology I really want to use, but it was really, really <laughs> messing me up and it was making sense. And I'm like, this is what I've been looking for. This, this is, this is it. But if I do this, I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to lose my source of income. Um, and so ultimately what happened is I did take a leap of faith and um, we, we, we left the church that we were at and we started the, um, uh, what we call the underground collective. 
And um, we are a, a group that's committed to following Christ and, and who are actively cultivating shalom wherever we are. And, uh, and our goal is just to do that, to be good in community, be to, to live in proximity. Um, it's amazing what I've learned, Terry, is that um, I have chickens. It's amazing what eggs can do to create good neighbors. <laughs> good. Hey, you give somebody, you give a neighbor a dozen eggs, I mean, you know, fresh eggs, straight out the butt, you know. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it, it does some amazing things, you know. I mean, it creates opportunity for conversation um, and just living in proximity with people and, um, and, and, and being a good neighbor. And, uh, in the, and particularly during this time, you know, we're going to go into this quarantine business. Um, you know, taking a dozen eggs over to your neighbor it really makes a difference. And, um, and so I, I'm really learning that my, my as, a, as a believer, my goal is to, to, to understand myself as one who is sent and one who has to carry that message um, and um, uh, as opposed to one who's just worshiping. Because um, I think what the, I think what I've learned and what's, what's been embedded in me now is that church is not a location. It's not a place on the GPS. It's not an address. It's, it's not a particular time or a particular place. You know, I am church. We are church wherever we are and um so i had a guy come to the farm one day homeless gentleman and we're talking because when i introduce myself now i don't introduce myself as pastor battle i'm farmer you know <laughs> when i say pastor that usually changes conversation they quit cussing hide their liquor whatever um, um and avoid any <laughs> spiritual thing but when you tell people you're a farmer they start telling you the color of their thumb, you know, mm. um, what am I growing? What if I have animals and all these things? So I'm just, I have this guy who's he's volunteering, homeless gentleman's volunteering at the farm. And all of a sudden he calls me reverend. I'm like, what, who, reverend, what, why, why did you call me reverend? Because <laughs> you know? I had said nothing about that. And, um, he said, well, I just, I felt the spirit on you. I'm like, okay, I got the funk on me now, you know, <laughs> and, um, um, and, and I told him, yeah, I am a pastor. He goes, but, and, he, and, and this is what I love. He said, where's your church? And I said, you're weeding in it. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so to learn, to understand that, you know, church is everywhere and it's not about getting numbers and budgets and, um, um, you know, um, building programs and all of that, but it's really about just being being Christ to the community, creating shalom with the way things God in, the way God intended. Um, to me, it's 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 easier than knocking on a stranger's door with the four spiritual laws or taking them down the Romans road. That's good. You know, hey, I get to be Chris Battle, and everywhere I am, you know, if it's at the if it's at the Kroger, if it's going through the McDonald's drive-through if it's sitting in my driveway, you know? Um, so yeah, that's, that, that's, that's, that's what Ford's helped me to understand. You know, I, you know, it's like, you think you know it, but ultimately I needed people to come into the building because if they don't come to the building, I don't, bills don't get paid and I can't feed my family, you yeah. know? And, um, I think even the way we have church set up now, it's, um, 
I think instead of working with each other and collaborators, we end up being in competition with each other, you know. But so, yeah. Um, so what is interesting there is it'll be, it'll be really wild to see what happens based on the current circumstances because I'm seeing actually more collaboration now and there's a whole lot more people who are coming to understand what you've come to understand, right? I think God is in the last four weeks has done more than all the books, the blogs and yeah. seminars and the instructions as far as teaching people that it's not about what you said. It's not about Sunday. It's not about the event. It's not about the place. It's not about the building. Uh, but what is it going to be? How, how are we going to move and act and, and live in this world as sent people, you know, as people who are trying to be about what God wants. And I, I do see, uh, and I, would be interesting if you, if you guys see this. I see more collaboration. I see more people leaning in because we're in completely uncharted territory. Yeah, one of the things that I think is interesting, uh, and and I love Chris, what you've done with the Underground Collective is you've you've oriented the church uh, around the kingdom uh, rather than services. Right? You do yeah. churches look at the Sunday morning. But you guys are looking, you're, you're taking a kingdom perspective. And I think in light of everything that's going on, I think, I think more churches are being forced to think, what does it look like to be kingdom oriented? And when we say kingdom oriented, what we're talking about is, what does it look like for God's people to be in the business of justice and reconciliation and wholeness and goodness and beauty? Um, and I love how you guys have found that tangible expression of the church where you guys are bringing beauty, right? You, you know, I'm, I, I don't drink coffee and I don't garden. Those are two, two things that, that, that we've talked about today. Uh, but I, I, I love the smell of coffee and I love being in and around gardens. And, I, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a cook. I almost went to culinary school. And so I love working with, with fresh food products and things like that. And so there's beauty in that. Um, but I love this, this idea of fighting food disparity is that's, that's very much a justice issue. And that's very much a mission thing. And I mean, that's part of God's mission is to, to make things right, to put things way to the right, put things back to the way they should have been. And, uh, I know Chris, uh, uh, in our conversations, we've talked quite a bit about this. You use the word food, uh, apartheid. Um, yeah. tell me a little bit about that and how you guys are approaching, uh, this fight in not just food disparity, but food apartheid and what, what ramifications it has for justice and, and how we can embrace and engage God's mission in this. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wish I would have been the one to come up with that term. Um, but yeah. Um, but what's been, what's being noticed is that most, most of the, um, those communities that are in food deserts are communities of color. Um, and so there's definitely an, an apartheid aspect to it that this is not about, this is about, um, uh, about race, uh, income, what have you. And, um, um, cause we have, there's no grocery stores in my zip code, but there are plenty of payday lenders. Mm. Okay. <laughs> there's plenty of dollar stores. Um, there's, and, and, and what goes along with food deserts, also what they call food swamps is that we have all types of fast food restaurants, mm -hmm. you know, if you from, but by the time, by the time I go from my house 
um, to my to the Kroger that I go to, I pass almost about ten fa- drive-through fast food places. You know, and as one guy says, it, we're not. It's not the drive-by that's killing us; it's the drive-through because people are literally dying of, um, um, uh, you know, people are dying of diseases, curable diseases. But it's all about how, what, what we're taking into our bodies, um, and a lot of times we're finding that you know grocery stores tend to be anchor stores, and so when when they leave, uh, you have white flight and all that, what you end up having, you having a, a community of um, in distress, and, um, and 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 then there's all those other things that go along with it: obesity, sugar diabetes, high blood pressure. Because all the food that they're eating is this processed food that does no has no nutritional value, sure. you know. So yeah, that's um that's one aspect that we're really concerned about. The justice as justice side of it is, is number one making people aware of it. Yeah. But um, we're also working now to develop a co-op, a food co-op, in our community, and um, and there's some other things that we're doing. But that is our next goal um, um, to start a food co-op where people in the community from their own gardens can bring food there and um, again, fight against food disparity, but also to begin to um, gain a little income from their own, from their own hands. So yeah, that's, that's the, uh, that's the, that's the exciting part, exciting part to me. And I, I love that they're participating in the mission of God, whether, whether Absolutely. they're followers of Jesus or not, they're, they're Absolutely. now participating in the redeeming, the restoration, bringing beauty, wholeness, yeah. and justice to their community. And when you can stand next to people like that and say, hey, we're doing this for our community, we now have something, we have, we have a reason why, right? Everyone yeah. may have their different reasons, but we have our reason is because yeah. Jesus is the Lord. And so, yeah. uh, man, you're, it's an inspiration. Um, being someone who grew up, I grew up in inner city Houston, and you know, we, I mean, I, I never, I, I didn't go to a grocery store uh, I take that back. I went to a grocery store once and got arrested uh, for shoplifting. As a kid. <laughs> I, I didn't go to a grocery store and actually buy anything uh, until I was uh, I was until I was an adult. And so, really? because, because in my neighborhood, all you had was the corner store. And I mean, I remember as a kid, we'd get a couple bucks, and dinner was a pint of ice cream, a bag of chips, and a coke, and that was it. And, you know, because, you know, I, I, you know, some people know my story. I didn't have parents or anything that watching after me, but I wasn't the only kid on the corner doing that. I mean, that was what the neighborhood did. You know, you, you might get some leg quarters, uh, you know, or something like that. But typically you were, you were eating processed, highly processed, very high calorie, high fat content food, or you were getting a sack of burgers for a dollar right? You were, you were getting that. And so that was dinner. And so, um, yeah, man. So it resonates with me deeply what you're doing and man, I'm just, I'm so grateful for what you're doing in the kingdom. It's good work. Well, thank you, Chris, for being here uh, with us. Again, it's been awesome hearing your story and about the uh, impact you're having here in Knoxville. So appreciate it. And we tell this story as um, kind of an inspiration, kind of saying, Hey, here's one person's story, how they took, um, kind of the idea, the concepts of forge and really the idea concepts of what church could be, um, what church should be is what we might, we might actually say, you know, people, I like how you said it, we are worshipers, but we're, we're, um, people who are on mission that happen to worship, right? That's, that is 
something that we do, that God is uh, sending us into our communities. And so we tell this story of saying, hey, maybe it's not a garden, maybe it's not a farm, but what is, what is the um, expression, what is the thing that is going to, um, that is sending you into, into your neighborhood, into your context? What is, what is the fight that you're going to be a part of? And I can look at Chris and I can say he's a part of the food disparity fight here in Knoxville. Um, he's standing on the front lines. In fact, I would say you're known as that here in the city. Um, I know that you're in contact with a lot of the, the mayor or all the different people, and that's kind of how they know you. They know you as the farmer and as the pastor uh, who's about justice issues. So what, what is your fight? Well, let me, let me ask you this, Chris. If people wanted to know more about um, uh, you, the church or about Battlefield, the farm, how can they, how can they look that up? Okay. Well, uh, we, we'll be glad to have you email us. Um, probably one of the quickest ways. Um, if you'd like to get in touch with us at the farm, it's battlefieldfarm1, the number one, at gmail.com. Battlefieldfarm, the numeral one, at gmail.com. And uh, the underground, um, it's the underground knocks, K-N-O-X, the underground knocks at gmail.com. We also both have Facebook pages uh, for both of them. I think we even have a website for the underground. Of course, I can't tell you what it is right now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure if you look it up, it'll be it'll be out yeah. there. Yeah. I will say uh, this: there is. I remember looking up Battlefield Farm once, and there's a Battlefield Farm, I think, in Virginia, somewhere. Have you seen this? There's a, there's a few of them. Oh, there are them. Okay, so this one's in Knoxville, Tennessee. You can look yeah. this up. But thank you, Chris, so much for being here with us. Uh, really thank appreciate you. it. Um, Terry, Roland, uh, good to be with you guys. Yeah, you too. Hey, the one the one thing I want to know is if I come back to Knoxville, can I get invited again to the Wings Summit? <laughs> Absolutely. I don't know if we're, yeah, I don't know if we're allowed to talk about the Wings Summit on this podcast. Um, that, is, that is a secret club of men who go and destroy wings at uh, at different restaurants uh, throughout the city. Uh, yeah. So, Chris, you and I and our friend Kevin, we started that several years ago, right? With yeah, the friends, yeah. Art and Tony. Well, I feel honored that I was part of it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's good to have you guys when you were here. So, all right. Well, on that, uh, we're going to say thanks for listening, and we will catch you on the other side. All right, bless see ya. Hello.